Father, I thank you for the powerful name of Jesus and for the work that he has done on our behalf and continues to do on our behalf. I love uh, where your word tells us that he intercedes even now for us because we still need it. So thank you, Father, that we're not left up to our own devices, not left up to ourselves to continue this race, but you're carrying us through it. We ask that you'd speak to us now through my very imperfect and feeble lips. In Jesus' name, amen. Please feel free to be seated. As I mentioned at the beginning of, uh, of our service, we are looking at, uh, we, are, we have just started Advent, and we're looking at a text tonight uh, from Luke chapter 21 that might not seem very Christmassy. Uh, it's a text all about the second coming of Jesus. But again, that fits because Advent from the very beginning has been about not just his first coming, but his second coming uh, to us. And so we're going to read from Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. You can follow along on the screen if you like. It reads like this, quote, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. End of reading. Well, uh, I'm going to ask you to do something very risky for a pastor to do. I'm going to ask you to just take a moment to close your eyes and not fall asleep. And I'm going to ask you a question, and I just want you to take a few moments to think about your answer. And the question is this, what would you do if you knew for certain that the world was going to end tomorrow? Would you do your best to spend the time with your family, maybe friends? What would you eat? Would you be tempted to look for your Bible or look in your Bible for loopholes, knowing that this was the last possible chance for people to be saved? Would you find yourself suddenly becoming a street preacher? In our text today, I think Jesus wants us to picture what life 
at least should be like if we knew the world were going to end tomorrow. You can go ahead and open your eyes now if you want. Uh, thinking about what you'd do if you only had a certain amount of time left on earth is certainly not a new question to ponder. And it's, certain, it's something that I think movies and TV shows and songs have been frankly written about. A few years ago a movie came out along those lines, not about the second coming of Jesus, but about two guys that found out they were going to die called the bucket list, in which they basically, once they found out they were going to die, they do everything that they ever wished they had done when they were younger before they, quote, kicked the bucket. And then you, of course, have that Tim McGraw song that I am definitely not singing for you tonight, but that is called, I think it's called Live Like You Were Dying, at least that's what you hear over and over again in the chorus. And it expresses the same thing. You know, you want to do as much as you possibly can do. You fit, in, fit everything in because you know you only have a limited amount of time left. And then on the other hand, you have Martin Luther, who was asked what he would do if he found out that the world was going to end tomorrow, that Jesus was going to come back. And he said simply, I'd plant a tree. Now that might not make sense, but what he was saying is, I'm not going to act any different. Because I know whom I have believed. I believed in the same person yesterday, and I'll believe in him tomorrow. I'm not going to do anything different. I'll plan a tree. But what does Jesus say to do? Well, in the text that we read, I think, first of all, he says to look out. That's the first thing. Look out. Uh, Jesus definitely commands that. Look at, uh, listen to Luke 21, verses 29 through 33 again. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leave, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. Now, the picture is obvious. Is that somebody's phone out there? Is that my phone? Oh, great. Perfect timing. <laughs> Who doesn't know me that knows I'm in, doesn't know I'm in church? But, uh, so Jesus says, <clears throat> when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Now, truly, I say to you, this generation, this generation uh, will not pass away until all has taken place. And the point he's making is very clear. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So just as a person looks at the fig tree and by it determines what's coming, so we are to look out at the world and see if the things predicted in the Bible that would happen in the last days are happening. I think everybody kind of understands that. Well, what are those things? He says, quote, there will be future tense signs in sun and moon and stars. What will happen to the sun and moon and stars? Isaiah 13, 10, Joel 2, 31, Joel 3, 15, and many other prophecies throughout the Old Testament tell us that the sun will be darkened and the moon will look like blood and the stars will begin falling out of the sky and I suppose that could refer to like meteor showers or something akin to that. And as a result of what's happening, uh, Jesus says the sea will roar and waves, probably tsunamis will come crashing down. People are going to see this. They're not going to have answers for it. They're going to be filled with fear over what they're experiencing, so much so that they will faint with fear. That's what the word says. The power of heaven will be shaken. So yeah, Jesus says, be looking out for these things. Definitely be on the lookout. But, but, there's a, 
there's just this thing, and it's this. The temptation for many is to get so fixated on looking out for signs of the end that this can become almost their sole focus. When I was about oh, early 20s or so, I got connected in with a group of Christians that were pretty interested in prophecy. They were really interested in trying to determine the times. And I remember going to gigantic prophecy conferences that were all about trying to figure out when the final day was going to happen. I mean, these were conferences with thousands of people. And there was, I mean, the kinds of lectures that were given, the kinds of talks were so detailed about all the different things going on in the world that clearly showed that we were getting ready at any time for Russia and China to make their move against Israel so that the end would be ushered in. This was happening. This was being talked about 20 years ago. This is still being talked about today. It's the same kind of stuff. And, and people there, frankly, I'll just be real with you, there was an awful lot of people at these prophecy conferences that were, I mean, definitely on the edge of conspiracy theory world. I mean, really, really far out there. And it became their sole focus. It became the only thing that they would talk about. It became the only thing that they would debate about. I mean, it was constantly talked about, this fixation on trying to determine whether we were actually living in the end times. And here's the deal. If you actually look at what Jesus says in this passage is going to happen, these are things that to some degree or another have already happened. It's true. We've seen solar eclipses before. We've seen what are called blood moons, or they're nicknamed that. We've seen tsunamis. We've seen things like this before. And so I don't think that Jesus wants us to get, he does want us to look out for it. I think he wants us to be aware of the times, but I don't think he wants us to forget to live for today. Remember, that's another one of Jesus' sayings. Tomorrow has enough of its own worries. Worrying about it is not going to add a single hair to your head, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. So looking out is important. Kind of checking out what's going on in the world. Being aware, yes, Jesus says that. But it's not the only thing. It's not the main way we should respond to the coming of Jesus, to the second coming. So then perhaps if it's not always looking out, then maybe it's looking in. Jesus, again, certainly tells us to do that in our text. Listen, verse 34. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the, earth, of the whole earth. Stay awake at all times. Look inside. Now, be very careful here. Jesus is not merely saying here, watch your drinking. Watch your dissipation, another word for hangover. No, no. Uh, he, he is saying more specifically, watch your heart. Watch your heart. And specifically, what can weigh down your heart? The cares of this life, it says. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 states it this way. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test 
yourselves. Now, earlier in the letter, it is made abundantly clear that the test he is talking about is a test of repentance, that is, acknowledging your sin, your need for Jesus as your Savior. That's the pattern of the Christian life. Look in, Jesus says, to make sure your heart is not weighed down by the cares of this life, but repent, turning towards him for forgiveness and grace to walk as he leads you, lest the end comes upon you suddenly like a trap. A while back, I was at a, a meeting of pastors for my uh, network of churches denomination, and one of the speakers was a man that some of you are familiar with here named Warren. During this one particular session, he was speaking about how God had been faithful in getting his family through some really tough times in his life. One Sunday, Warren had left church after preaching when he got a call from his associate pastor that a terrible accident had happened. His son-in-law had been in an accident right outside the church, and Warren needed to get back there as soon as possible. He just pulled into his driveway then, And walking in a daze as Warren headed to the car to get back to the church to see if his son-in-law was okay, his wife ran out to him and screamed, Joe is dead. His daughter was left behind so suddenly with three children, three little children, and their father was gone. The truck hadn't seen him, hit him as he was pulling out of the driveway and accidentally had dragged him under the wheel well. In a split second, it was all over. In a split second. So Jesus says, look in, watch yourselves to see if you're ready. But, but again, if I could just bring up a little caveat here. Look in, this is incomplete and frankly on its own can be very, very problematic and dangerous. And here's why. Just as you can get so obsessed with looking out for the signs of Jesus' second coming that you forget to live for today, so too you can be so consumed with looking in that you forget to be about your neighbor. And besides, if we're really honest with ourselves about what we see when we look real deep inside our hearts, we have to be honest and admit that that thing is constantly weighed down by the cares of this life. We have to admit that by that criteria, no matter how much we look in, that alone cannot be the way, main way to get ready for his second coming. So you look out and you say, yes, I can see that there are signs pointing to his coming. And you look in and you say, yes, I can see I need to repent. I need to trust Jesus. Yes, I can see that. But if you just do those two things, you look out and you look in, you won't be ready for his coming. You won't. You have to get this last instruction. It's not just looking out. It's not looking in. But as Jesus says, it's looking up. It's looking up. Quote, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. 
Now again, when did these things begin to take place? Well, they've been going on since nearly the beginning. So what's his point? Always be looking up because your redemption is always drawing near. I mean, the fact is God has already brought you back from this world with the perfect life of Jesus. He's paid for you with his very own blood on the cross. He's ensured you you'll have eternal life because he's risen. He will bring you to your true home, Christian. When work is killing you, look up. When friends abandon you, look up. When hope seems lost, look up. When the world's going to hell, look up. For your redemption is drawing near. It's not as if we ever are instructed by Jesus to just like, eh, don't worry about it. If things seem pretty peaceful, don't worry about looking up to me. No. His point is always be looking up. Always be remembering who bought you. Always be remembering who your Lord is. I think the picture is just best summed up for me. It always goes to this for me because I'm a father of three kids and, you know, I've just experienced it so much. But like, you know, when my six-year-old, when my six-year-old is going through a hard time, uh, and especially when he was uh, little, when he was a baby, anytime he gets injured, anytime, what does he do? He looks up. He holds up his arms to his daddy. He looks up for provision for someone to take care of him. Notice Jesus does not say, invest in grain, buy gold, and own guns. Now, listen, uh, if you want to invest in grain, buy gold and own guns, that's fine with me. I don't care. There's nothing wrong with that biblically. But if you get these things because you think somehow it's going to shield you when the end comes, stop. That's looking down. The Bible says no. Look up. Look up. So my friend Warren arrived at the site of the accident where his son-in-law had died. He was laid under a blue tarp. <clears throat> his daughter bent down to say goodbye to her husband one last time. And then, without even thinking about it, Warren, just being caught up in the suddenness of the moment, just stopped everything that was going on. He literally stood up and said, I need everybody to stop right now, rescue workers, everybody. He said, I need everybody to stop right now, and I just need to say something to you. And he started preaching. He says, you don't know when your time will be. Joe had no idea that today, in literally a second, he would be gone from this earth. But one thing I do know is Joe was ready because he knew who his Redeemer was. So Christian, or those that are not sure what you believe, the command is the same for both of you. Look up to Jesus. Look up to Jesus. Because your redemption is drawing near. He's coming again. And he's paid the price to bring you home with him. Let's pray.
It's easy to get so caught up in this world, Father, either in the signs or in our own mess, that we forget the primary calling on our life to be ready is simply to look up. Lord, I'm reminded even of that right now as we're about to go to the table where your body and blood is given to us, that this is a perfect opportunity for us to indeed look to you. The redemption is won through, Jesus, your body and your blood. So help us now, give us the ability to receive it with faith. And nourish our faith and our souls through it, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.